Hello and welcome to another episode of Who Knew in the Moment the podcast. I'm your host, Phil Friedrich. Today, I'm honored to have Ari Rastigar with me, the Oracle of Austin. Ari has a phenomenal story of how he went from law school to real estate mogul. Please tune in. Hello and welcome to another episode of Who Knew in the Moment. Today, I'm honored to have Ari Rastigar with me. Ari is the founder of Rastigar Property Company. He's also called the Oracle of Austin, and uh, he's got a fascinating story. So I'm super excited to highlight that with you. And, you know, as I've gotten to know his story, uh, and we were actually just talking about it, one of the things that stood out to me most is what his focal point is. It's not just about, you know, being called the Oracle of Austin. That's just a byproduct of the good work he's done. Uh, It's not about how much money he can make. It's truly about his family and creating, you know, family generational wealth and also just the future that his kids can have from what he's able to do. So Ari, thanks so much for being on today, man. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it very much. Absolutely. So to start with, uh, growing up, you are a son uh, of immigrants. And so talk a little bit about, you know, just having parents that are first generation in the United States and one, what that meant to you then, but two, what that means to you now. I mean, it's it's a great question, and again, I'm, I'm I'm happy to be having this conversation. So, my dad was was an Iranian immigrant, okay, and and my mother is German, although she was born in Hawaii. Um, you know, lived in Germany, lived around whatever. But my father, a truly, you know, was here studying. Um, and I say here, I'm in Austin, Texas, right now, you know, um, where you know where I was born. I kind of grew up all over Dallas, but I was born here in Austin. And they were they were studying here, and the plan was to go back to Iran. And this was in the kind of mid to late seventies. And when <clears throat> it's a really interesting question because my father was here studying um, with uh, his two brothers, my aunt, and during their time of you know in college, their plan was to you know finish their education, go back to Iran. And my grandfather was a medical doctor, a psychiatrist. And um, then all of a sudden the revolution broke out and they went from having, you know, a pretty decent living to literally nothing. And, um, you know, a lot of Iranian Americans share that similar, that plight. Um, so look, it, it's a double-edged sword because it does create in you as this first generation American, you know, a, a huge love for your country, first of all. I mean, like you really um, appreciate what, what we have here. It's seeing, you know, hearing the stories like from my dad and the family, what they lost and liberties and things of those, those nature. And I'm actually an attorney by trade also. Yes. And, you know, and I wish I could tell you that that was because some, this grandiose reason that I needed to be an attorney to be an advocate. It was really because my dad said, a lawyer you can be an exotic dancer for all i care but you're going to be first so it's a doctor or a lawyer. this is not up for discussion and then go do whatever you want i don't care you know uh, he's, you know, he's pretty adamant about it um so you know i think it really created a hunger yeah. you know that place that um that wasn't necessarily mine as a person you know i'm a really um I'm a pretty simple guy, I like a good book and kind of, I don't drive Ferraris and kind of like, I'm not like, it's a pretty simple dude, but, um, you know, kind of woke up one day and we have a really big business, but it was always, it wasn't about me. Like I wanted, you know, when I put the, my name on the door, there was a lot of groups, you know, 
you know, they had kind of a snarky remark. Oh, he's putting his name on the door. Maybe this wants to be famous. Uh, and, and for me, it was about my grandpa and my dad. Like I wanted them to like, and I wanted my kids I have three you know, beautiful children. Like I wanted them to have something to be proud of. And yeah. you know, my grandpa would tell me, you know, um, remember that's not your name. You know, that was my, that was my father's name. <laughs> from this place of deep integrity of, you know, just remember, like you're a steward of that, you know, and, and I wanted my kids to be proud and, you know, I wanted to make my grandpa, my dad proud. And, um, and I love real estate because it incorporates so many elements of what I love. Like, for example, this is our, the logo of our company. It's this, you can kind of see it in the thing. This is what's called yeah. an attorney. And it's been around for, at least 5,000 years and you can see it in all different cultures the Mayan cultures the Chinese cultures the Persian cultures um and all the way if you look close you can see the Star of David I mean just keep going right yeah and means is the marriage of divine wisdom and human measurement mm -hmm. you know recognition that there's something there that you know it's bigger than you. Well, you know, how, however you look at that, right? And I think a lot, all of us have different ways that, you know, we could answer that question, which is beautiful, but reminding you of that, but also it's all right angles, which is how you build a building. <laughs> Being able to be in the architecture and find the land. And I put a quote on the side of all our, all our developments. So um, one of our development sites, one of our I don't know, seven or eight development sites. I don't even know how many we have anymore. But one of them is 320 acres in the southern part of Austin. It's MSA called Kyle. And um, on all of our development sites, um, that one we're building, you know, a master plan community, you know, office and houses and apartments. And it's this incredible experience to watch something that just is not there come to life. Yeah. And exercise the art of the building uh, from the exterior, but also how people live like as we're designing these houses you know we're not putting dining rooms because dining room is like a fake ass room like right. nobody the dining room or like you don't or you go maybe for thanksgiving or a holiday or christmas you know whatever it is so we can lower the square footage and make the kitchen a little bit bigger where everybody congregates so like it makes you start to think like more of you know, just on a deeper level than, hey, just throwing up bricks. And yeah. and that's where my passion really like kicks into. Yeah, we know the math and, you know, obviously, you know, you know, we, we, we know how to buy and sell real estate, I think, you know, I think, I yeah. think we've done it. Um, but that part of it is really invigorating. So the quotes that we put on the side of the land is everything you can imagine is real by Pablo Picasso. Mm. And Comes, comes this thing for us of um, that's not only kind of aspirational or motivational or whatever words you want to use, but truly you begin to think, wow, like there's nothing here and there could be something here, whether that's for you as a person that you want to visualize the body that you want, or whether it's the spouse, you know, that you're looking for possibly, or the life that you want to create, the building you want to build, it becomes the ethos of, um, of so much more. And yeah. So real estate allows you to play in a lot of those arenas of all the way from the way people, like I said, live or work and the design elements and then, you know, the financial sides of it. And, you know, so it's, um, it's something that clearly I'm not passionate about. I don't care. About. Yeah. 
Well, now, Ed, the thing that I would like to highlight and kind of piggyback off of that is that's not a newfound passion. So you said at the age of 12 that, hey, one day my goal is to contribute or build a part of the Dallas skyline. So talk Correct. about, you know, how that came to be. Because once again, uh, I imagine there's a lot of 12-year-olds that maybe say things that uh, they're actually not passionate about. Well, you know, the truth of the matter is that was something that, I kind of, I learned from my dad and my grandpa, we would, we would drive together through Dallas, uh, you know, for whatever reason. And, you know, and look up at these beautiful buildings and, you know, they both like, you know, like real estate also. And, you know, my grandpa would talk about land. He's like, they're not making any more of it, you know, and, yeah. and I want like him. And he's like, no, you're not going to be a doctor. You're, you're in America. He's like, you're going to be a businessman, you know, and, and, he, and he would say like, you know, you buy all these buildings or build all these buildings. And so, watching them and seeing that not knowing much kind of instilled that in me where I was like oh yeah maybe we you know maybe everything you can't imagine is real maybe you could for a kid that didn't really have too much but yeah. say that reluctantly because you know I was fortunate to grow up in a really affluent part of Dallas um in Highland Park actually um, my father went to SMU law school we kind of lived in student housing and the student housing areas um, around SMU University was in Highland Park School District. Mm -hmm. So I was, you know, have a, you know, world-class education, um, you know, and then I kind of thought, you know, maybe one day when I grow up, we can do it. And uh, lo and behold, we have a site um, right there in Uptown, downtown area where we're going to change the skyline. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. The moments, the moments. Now, like you said, your dad was kind of instilling in you, hey, you know, you're going to be a doctor, you're going to be a lawyer. And so uh, you do some community college, you do Texas A&M and community college, two, two community colleges. Sorry. <laughs> Delivering pizzas. I was yes. such in high school, you know, um, and it took me a while to to get my bearings together. But I did end up graduating top of my class from A&M and um and then going on to law school as my father begrudgingly kind of made me but your point you know it took so long you know to look back at those moments and realize that they were inflection points right these inflection like you see something that's so seemingly trivial in the moment and and i'm guilty of it certainly of either living in the past or living in the future and you know, not taking that kind of Eckhart, you know, kind of approach of yeah, present, right? Um, but but those were definitely major inflection points. And actually, my book is coming out in December. You know, called the Gift of Failure, and and really it, that has so much to do with what something that goes wrong, as an example. You know, something wrong, you look at it, you're devastated. The, the some soul crushing. Thing. And as an entrepreneur, we all know what that is. And yeah. every entrepreneur that's listening or is, is whatever listen would immediately be like, yeah, I, yeah, I, I've been there, right? But with introspection and when you have a why or you have something that's beyond you or something you believe in, and um, there's something there beautiful where life was happening for you. Like it was yeah. equipping you and and I know that can, that can sound a little cheesy or whatever, but I, I genuinely have experienced that in my life. And Steve Jobs said, you know, used to say, he said, you have to believe in something and you can, can't connect the dots going forward. You have to connect them going backwards. Yes. You know, I'm 
a long quote of, you know, when you talk, but you know what I'm talking about, but, yeah. it, and, but as you connect those dots, you realize, you know, that road less traveled, like this literally took you in that, a different direction. Literally, it could be a huge event or some sort of health issue. It could be a, your family moved you to Florida, but you grew up in New York and that, or whatever, but you don't understand the profundity of what that is until later. Yeah. So in law school, let's talk about one of these monumental moments. So most people that would go to law school say, you know, I really don't have any money. So I got to just, you know, kind of hoard every dollar. Ari says, well, I could do that, but I got scholarship money and I've got a buddy's dad that might be willing to loan me a few thousand dollars. So let's try and get into real estate. So talk about this moment. Yeah, that was, um, I don't know what I was thinking. You know, I mean, so mind you, it's 2005 and, you know, it just seemed like, whatever anybody was building or selling was just going, yeah. you know, and what happened in 2007, 2008, you know, is, you know, there was funny money kind of being pushed out into the world. Um, but as I was driving back and forth to law school, um, there was this just kind of strip of houses that were kind of being developed in this community. And, you know, this gentleman's name um, was on the side of it. His name is Mitch Dugan. We're still friends to this, to this day. Um, was really the bigger developer in this little area that I lived in north of San Antonio or whatever. And I would just see nothing. And then I'd see like framing go up and then sold. And I, and this just kept happening for months during my first year of law school. Finally, I just was like, well, I want to go see this guy. Like maybe I can build a house. Like maybe that's where you start. Or I, and I, I wish I could tell you it was this aha moment of like, analysis of the markets and you know <laughs> complex algorithm i do all that now by the yeah. way then you know it was just you know just kind of i don't know just following your gut or cheesy my cheesy coffee cup this morning my follow your heart <laughs> and by the way it was set my mistake i ordered this stuff on Am a bunch of stuff on amazon and and then this follow your heart ended up in my cup and i guess <laughs> his office and um he was you know very kind like texas like you know you know yeah. kind of plan and i told him what i want to do and mind you these homes were eighty thousand dollar interim construction loans you were selling them for 110 you know so this is, wasn't you know like i wasn't building huts and yards you know in manhattan um but it was a lot to me and i said look you know these the lots are around four thousand bucks five thousand bucks so it's like i have some scholarship money um and i can borrow a few thousand bucks i'll buy the lot i'll buy the land like with your guidance like in one of the areas you are you build it let's split the profits and you know he kind of gives me this look of are you like are you okay like like <laughs> and he was like he was like so what are you gonna do i was like well i'll be on the build side every day He's like, hold on, aren't you're in, you're in school. I'm like, yeah, law school. He's like, don't they say law school is like, it meant a lot of work. I'm like, yeah, but that's okay. Like, I, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but you cannot work me. Yeah. I can tell you that, like, right. And so I was like, no, I'll be there five o'clock. And so every morning, five o'clock in the morning, 4.30 in the morning, I was on the build site, you know, working with the guys and clearly didn't have the licenses or the things to do all the electrical, all the mechanical foundational work, but I sure was their helper. 
yeah. you know, and by the end of it, you know, framing, sheetrocking, roofing, you name it. And that was just rush and work boots to class, study till 11 o'clock at night and wake up and do it again. And um, by our third, my third year of law school, you know, we had sold, you know, we'd sold some and we had a lot coming and 2008 hit and they pulled all the loans. Yep. Oh, and then, you know, obviously he had great credit and um, he gave me my money back and, you know, kind of, you know, took over the whole thing and he had the liquidity and the ability to do it. And um, I was able to pay my investor back uh, with interest um, at the time, my $3,000 investor, which was a lot of money to me. And it, it meant, and yeah. it meant well, I mean, it was such a great, like such a grandiose gesture that, um, I still really cherish, honestly. Um, and I went to New York City. And after that, I had the itch. And it was like, okay, this happened. I got kicked in the teeth. Um, I thought I was going to make a few million bucks. And, you know, we didn't lose. But I'm going to go figure this out. And so I spent, you know, six or seven years doing that, working with the greatest minds in the world. Luckily, lucky, my wrestling coach growing up, and I was a mediocre wrestler at best, um, but his cousin was the head of one of the biggest banks in the world yeah. and did lending and introduced me to him. We spent time together, moved me to New York and I got to work with like literally the biggest names on earth in real estate out of New York and started up about six years ago. And, um, you know, now we've invested in 38 cities, 12 States, seven asset classes, um, we have, like I said, at least seven, seven projects going through the construction process right now, whether in, in entitlements or, you know, in very various phases and um, raising, you know, our new institutional fund and um, our investors range from public pension funds, insurance companies to celebrities, athletes, doctors, lawyers, you name it. And um, I guess dreams come true. You know, in, in some regard, I tell people yeah. all the, you know, I, I don't have dreams, I have goals, you know, and so yeah. I write them down and, and get to work. Yes. Now, there's a lot to unpack there, but there's a couple of things that you skipped over that I do want to highlight in the story first. So once again, he starts doing real estate. He's in law school, finishes law school, does do a little bit of practicing. And there is a there's an important moment with an NBA all-star uh get together that Ari has to be the saving grace for us. So talk about that moment and getting to do that opportunity. Cause it leads to a few things. Yeah, it was a, such a surreal moment. So <laughs> my other, um, as I mentioned, is an attorney also. And, you know, my uncle John, as I call him, who is my dad's one of my dad's best friends and very, very attorney in Texas. And, um, I think I started clerking for him in some regard. And by clerking, I meant carrying a briefcase. You know, I was like 13 or 14. And then I'd come back uh, for like a month during the summers through college and work for him. And so, you know, in, in some regard, I probably sat in on, he was a criminal defense attorney or, or is a criminal defense attorney. Um, probably sat in on 20 murder trials at least, you know, but aside from all the other different things he was doing. And he did a bunch of civil law too, but he's really a true trial lawyer. Yeah. You know, being there and watching, 
you know, the litigators, my father's a trial lawyer and like being there watching them and in the legal business trial lawyers are like the surgeons of doctors. And, you know, I'm watching them do this and question witnesses. And some of it felt like my cousin Vinny. I don't know if y'all seen that movie or not, but you know, so whatever. But um, that year I had passed the bar and I was kind of in that transition for a few months, as you mentioned, and this is right before I moved to New York um, and had that meeting with my coach at, completely altered my I mean I like completely took me in a different direction of living like in Dallas not really knowing anybody not really have left Texas too many times literally um to living on Wall Street you know having dinners and sitting next to people that are like you know writing hundred billion dollar funds I was like I don't even I don't even know what that means like right yeah uh, yeah and so it's hard to articulate how this happened, but in Dallas that year, the NBA all-star game happened to be in Dallas. Right. Yeah. And LeBron was doing, a, they were doing one of those celebrity guest appearance things. And by the way, this is just when this was starting. So Drake, a guy that nobody had ever heard of, nor had I, and I'm a big music enthusiast. And a lot of my buddies are huge entertainers. And so these guys walk into my office, into our office, and I get a call on the little intercom, you know, that, you know, these gentlemen are in our office or whatever. And they prefaces with these very large gentlemen. And I was like, okay, like I'm like five, eight, I'm a little guy. Wait, what am I? But I was, you said that weird. Like, I, I was like, what does that mean? So I walk out and, you know, these two pretty big dudes are standing you know, the thing, and I was like, you know, can I help you? And whatever, like, yeah, like you, this is John Reed's office. I was like, yeah, yeah, that's my, that's my Uncle John. And he was like, are you a lawyer? You know, and I was like, yeah, I mean, for five minutes, but yeah, yeah, but I'm a lawyer, whatever. He was like, it was really funny because my uncle, he doesn't want, he doesn't watch sports. And he goes to me, he goes, do you know who LeBron James is? And I go, and by the way, this was 2010 mind yeah, you yeah LeBron is LeBron right um I'm like yeah like why are you asking me like that like like okay because we asked a couple people and we talked to your uncle and he didn't and I was like what's the problem can we just sit in my office so they start telling me they're doing this event he's doing an appearance they'd rented a nightclub and but you know the promoter thing where they pay them something to be there put it on a flyer they do parties around the you know what I mean yeah. the super and turns out that the nightclub they'd done a deal with had lost their liquor license. So they were going to hire the, uh, the firm to go sue them for whatever. And, you know, like I said, there was this guy that nobody had ever heard of named Drake that was going to perform also. And we were supposed to pay him 5,000 bucks. I'm like, I'm like, I wouldn't pay this guy five cents. Like, like, like whatever. Anyways, funny. Um, so I called my buddy while I was in the office. I was like, well, instead of litigating, what if we change venues he's like well there's no venues i mean it's like the party's in 48 like 72 hours like there's it's impossible and so i called one of my buddies and um has a space i was like hey you want lebron james like not mentioning this other dude's name you know like whatever and it comes to you he's like lebron's party well like, yeah he's like of course and it's on speakerphone so they're sitting i mean they're sitting right there 
And, and I told them the location. They were like, I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to come by. We'll figure it out. And um, just book it Friday night. LeBron will be there and we'll figure out things. And he's like, yeah, whatever you need for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Like, we, I, I've known him for years. And yeah. I was like, figure out pricing, whatever. He's like, yeah, I'm not worried about it. You know, I trust you, Ari. Like, just get it done. And I hung up. I was like, you want to sue him? Or do you want to? And they were just like, okay, let's do a party. And so we ended up moving the venue, doing this thing. The party went off like a hitch. Promoters made money. They got their paid. Everyone was happy. Um, and that was kind of the story that I told Anthony that was my, co my coach's cousin, whatever. I still talk to all the time. His, his, his oldest son works for me. And his kids are like my little brothers. And, you know, whatever, fast forward. And I told him the story and he's a huge sports fan. He's like, what the fuck? Like, this is insane. The following year, the Super Bowl was in Dallas. Yeah. So in this conversation, he's like, well, we could build this a massive entertainment global, you know, global entertainment company and do these parties around the Super Bowl, like Maxim and whatever. He goes, you just know how to do it. You just did it actually without even knowing it. I'm like, yeah, I kind of did. I mean, we were like ticket sales and tables and getting a license. Like, I was like, right. Yes, I good. <laughs> we did. And we signed the Black Eyed Peas, David Guetta, um, Diplo, P. Diddy, um, Sports Illustrated is our corporate sponsor. I mean, like it was, you know, went crazy. But what I didn't um, anticipate was the biggest ice storm in the history of Dallas hitting that weekend and um, basically every flight being canceled and going to sleep a multimillionaire and ticket sales and sponsorships and waking up overdrawn from all the chargebacks and the people that didn't come. So, yeah, that was yeah. definitely moments where I had to use a spatula to try to get myself off the ground. But um, it was uh, definitely a unbelievable inflection point yes now due to some of these things uh you get into not i'm not gonna say the nightclub scene that always has a negative connotation but you're visiting some and this one happenstance night you're at an la nightclub and and there's a gal that might be representing johnny depp and well i don't know i think that becomes a pretty important connection you make actually the way that it kind of went down and there's there's a, there is a lot of truth to what you're saying. So I'm at an LA nightclub because, um, and I'm not a big I'm not a big party guy. I'm not a big drinker. Already. I don't I don't really whatever. I'll drink a little bit here or there, but I'm not a whatever. I'm actually a health freak. Like if, if you spend any time looking me up, which would probably bore you to death, you would see I'm like a health fanatic. But anyways, no, no harm, no foul. But I live my life. I do whatever you know, whatever. Yeah. Kids want to eat on the weekend. I'll eat it with them. I don't care. I, but um, so the Super Bowl, we did two parties and then we were going to go to L.A. for the all-star game in L.A. and do a party at the Playboy Mansion. OK, so yep. we get Dallas, even though we have the best venues, the parties actually were insane because it was a fourth of the pot of the crowd showed up. So it went bananas from a party standpoint, but monetarily it was a disaster. So I get to L.A. And we're about to have this 
iconic party at the Playboy Mansion. Hef is alive. We signed Snoop Dogg and Fabulous. It was Nate Dogg's last show, God rest his soul. We, we heard it was last show before he passed away. MySpace was live streaming it. And, you know, back then that was like the coolest thing, you know, in the world. And um, I'm sitting at our, like, um, our place on Venice Beach and my team had come down with me. And it was, you know, two of my childhood friends. And that was part of my deal with Anthony when he came up. I said, look, I'll do this, but I want my two, two of my closest friends, one, since we've been friends since we were 10 years old, to come with me to New York and help me do this shit because I have no idea what the fuck I'm doing. So at least I'll have my brothers with me and, you know, we'll figure some shit out. We literally yeah. slept at work, I mean, 23 hours and 52 minutes a day for, you know, a year. It was insane. So I'm sitting there at our little spot. We brought down some of our staff. Um, and it was actually an old youth hostel. We rented the whole place out. And so there was kind of different rooms and like one of those boutique ones, right? And I'm sitting there and on the TV, it says, you know, 100, you know, 100 people rush to the emergency room as Legionnaire's disease breaks out the Playboy Mansion. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? I'm like, they're, like, we got this one hook, line, and sinker. Like, yeah. Jim, we have all this, like, this is done. Like, tickets are $2,000. We've been sold out for three months. I mean, this was a wrap. Legionnaire's disease broke out. And so I have to find a new venue. Me. Now I'm on the other end of these guys. I'm looking at God like, are you fuck? Are, are, are you like, did I like if, just if you want me to go to just kill me, I'll go. Like, but what are you like? What is this? Um, anyways, so after the shell shock, and I don't know anybody in LA, I've barely been to like Dallas, at least my home, like, like my second hometown. And so start making calls, calling some people I know. And we found another venue at LA live um, to move it. But I mean, the Playboy mansion to, you know, LA live, there's some really cool places there, but not exactly the same, you know, whatever. So I'm tossed in that situation. Um, and so I go to the, one of the, this nightclub in West Hollywood to meet with the owner to see if we could do it there before I'd selected the other place. <clears throat> so one of the guys, one of my you know best friends, Luis is his name, who worked with me in this, and one of my dearest friends, family friends now, uh, talks to this girl at the bar, you know, and he's a ladies' man and you know very super suave and and you know he gets a little you know gets a little bit kind of turned down I guess or he doesn't care. It's just it's water off off his back and he looks at me as like. There's this girl over there, whatever, through the club, you know, so kind of wingman in it a bit. So <clears throat> I pull around the thing and there's this, you know, beautiful young lady sitting, you know, sitting there and kind of platonically just start talking. What are you doing here? And I'm, I'm oh, whatever. And blah, blah, I'm here. I'm here at work. I was like, oh, OK, cool. You know, what do you you know, what do you do? She's like, oh, that's my boss. I go and I kind of like do. <laughs> and Johnny Depp is standing behind her. And by the way, imagine, look, I'm a Texas kid. And by the way, my dad and I are huge movie buffs. And I, embarrassingly enough, Johnny was always my favorite actor. I had a poster of Johnny Depp on my wall at one point as a kid, as embarrassing as that sounds. And That's so right. I over, I'm like, oh, like, what? And she just looks a little bit annoyed. I'm like, okay. And so just we started talking. 
Um, and I was like, oh, so whatever, you know, what have you been doing? So we were in traveling. We just came back from Dallas. And I was like, oh, you're in Dallas? She's like, oh, yeah, for the Super Bowl. You know, where is that? I was just like, oh, interesting. She was like, yeah, I went to this party and the Black Eyed Peas performed. And it was the craziest party I've ever been to in my life. I'm like, hold on. That was my party. She's like, what do you mean? Like, you're at my party. Fast forward, almost 10 years married. Three I beautiful. I love it. I love it. That is such a fascinating and phenomenal story. Once again, there's so many more things that go into the, you know, the yep. relationship, but that, that is the pivotal moment of meeting. At the events, at the thing, you, you know, you never know, um, you know, which way it's going to turn. And Kelly has said many times, she was like, you know, in a jokey way, she's like, thank God those parties didn't work. She's like, you'd have party promoter for the rest of your life which is nothing wrong with but you know I'm, I'm an attorney and she knew what I wanted to do with my life she's like you'd have been stuck if you made money like and been good at it like why would you have stopped like you're making money and like great but you would have been doing the thing that you're not passionate about so you know it's kind of shoved me back towards you know what my I guess proverbial destiny was going to be but yeah. um, it took a lot of time and introspection to acknowledge that and now as i say it it's still an intellectual analysis because i still feel the pain like i still remember like that like visceral pain of this is fucked yeah. like oh my god like what is gonna happen and um never again yeah. I love never, never, you know, no, never again. So, um, and never forget. And by the way, today is 9 11. So, when it comes to never forget, you know, God, the rest of the souls of all the people that we lost that day. So, um, that everything we're talking about pales in the face of, you know, and what that is. So, prayers to all of them. Yes. Yes. Now, uh, once again, I want to be respectful of time, but so in your real estate business today, Ari, uh, you know, you're very calculated in what it is that you do. Like you said, not, you know, not buying that first house uh, as a college law student anymore. I'm, I'm calculating. So, you know, one of the things you talk about is, hey, uh, analytics, we've got a 70, you know, item checklist that we go through, you know, to see if the property is right for what we're trying to do. So talk a little bit about how you formulated that and how that's really accelerated and, you know, helped you excel in the real estate game. Yeah, I mean, look, we're, we're as much a data company as we are a real estate company in our, in our DNA. And it's yeah. something about us, but um, yes, this is very measured, very calculated. We have a 70 point due diligence protocol that took me and about probably, probably about, nine years to put together over the year and that's from drawing on watching the people i was around in new york and seeing the way they looked at things and and some traditional methods so it's not just random things that i made up like it's it's just you know it's it's our process and one of them was was a joke that turned into reality that we call the five dollar uber ride so as we go in this post-COVID world, people want to have access to amenity back to the way we live and we work, which I'm very passionate about understanding and help creating that, which we're calling futuristic suburbanism. Yeah. Um, and, and so if you can be at the restaurant or the bar or the, you know, 
my venue within a $5 Uber ride, probably a good spot. Yep. Or one of the, one of the checklists, like one of the things that we look at to be, you know, not maybe if we're not looking for the inner core, cause we like to be on the perimeters mostly other than the project in Dallas, which is Maine and Maine, like 1899 McKinney, I would argue is the best location in the city of Dallas. Mm. Hands, no question you know, whatever. But the vast majority of our business is looking at the inner core, looking where the market is, going out a little bit further and, you know, skating to where the puck is going, proverbially, as Gretzky says. Yeah. Uh, and the way that we make those assumptions um, or, you know, take calculated risk and stress test our analysis is through the use of data, artificial intelligence, um, in order to make better investment decisions, or right? is everything is anything guaranteed? Nothing's guaranteed, right? And people ask me that question all the time. I'm like, dude, I can walk across the street, and get hit by a car. I mean, what do you mean guaranteed? I don't, I don't even know what that means. I, I know math. Yeah. I know all these different scenarios and look for downside. And but I'm managing risk for a living. Like I'm, yes. like I'm just managing risk. And I'm a really conservative guy. So I want to take as little risk as possible to generate whatever return we can, but I'm not like, I'm not swinging for the fences. Like, you know, great work for our investors, make them a healthy return. You know, maybe we'll have a couple shekels left over for us as well, you know, but having a very customer centric obsession of just understanding you know, how can we add value? Like, how can we create value? When I buy an old apartment complex, you know, which we have, I don't know, maybe 13 or 14 buildings and just in Austin. Um, I mean, we gut renovate them. I mean, we take them down to the studs. I mean, new mechanical, new electrical, new roofing. Like, it's not just a, a simple paint job or a little, you know, changing the knobs on a cabinet or something. It is a true, you know, like, you know, it, it, when it's done, it's a class A experience. So we can charge a little bit more rent than, you know, um, than it was, than it had, but less than new construction. Yep. So find this little median where your customer is getting a class A experience with the $5 Uber ride instead of the premium of being in the da- in downtown, you know, with the same interior that we have. And Right. So it's, it's finding ways, but using clean data to help us make those decisions. Yes, that's great. And once again, you're, you're doing big things. Just opened up a $200 million REIT. Uh, and, you know, you're continuing to grow and expand the business in different cities, different areas. But Ari, I, I want to say thanks so much for your time and sharing your story. A bunch of, you know, cool, just who knew in the moment moments that led you to where you're at. And uh, additionally, once again, has a book coming out later this year. When it does come out, we'll make sure to help you promote that. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me. And I love the show. I love what you guys are doing. And uh, I'm, definitely, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm definitely a fan. So I appreciate you having me. And you all have a very, uh, very blessed day. Wow, I love Ari's story and how he was able to take the moments of risk, right? Taking his student loans and going ahead and buying a rental property to grow business and now the behemoth that it is. Ari, keep doing great things and congratulations on your success thus far and all the great things to come.